Russia invades Ukraine. Well, this is interesting. Um, how did this actually happen? Um, what is the truth that the mainstream or Western, more importantly, Western media is not saying? Um, you know, I'm no Russophile, but I do look at both sides and I do want to come to a full understanding of the situation that we are currently in. That's, that's my perspective. I just want to know um, what is the truth? What is the absolute God-honest truth? And um, I can't really provide that for you right now, but what I can tell you are some things that for sure did happen. Um, that way, maybe you can come to your own conclusions as to what is going on now. Because what is going on now um, will determine our future and going forward and then how we will feel about it moving forward as well. So... Uh, yeah, so people are asking a lot about why is, why is Russia invading Ukraine? Well, I've explained some of this already, but here I'm going to explain it now. Super simple. And this is this explanation. I'm going to warn you. It is not being explained anywhere else. There are certain attributes and context that I'm going to frame for those of you listening now that are not pieced together. They're in pieces elsewhere, but they're not pieced together just perfectly to explain this harmony of why today happened the way it did, okay? This is the best explanation I could possibly have. And so it all starts in most recent history, which was about eight years ago, really almost nine years ago. So in 2013, there was a, a government there in Ukraine and the government there was more or less uh, aligned with Russia. Um, and just so we're clear, even further historical context for you, Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine, used to actually be the capital of Russia. Ukraine is Russia. 300 years ago, Kiev was the capital of Russia. And the Huns had come into Russia at that time and had taken over that part of what was Russia. And it was only this contingent in Russia in Moscow that was this new sort of city in, in what was the Russian Empire. Um, I think it was called something else too. But Moscow came to save Kiev from the Huns. So this is just basic historical context. It's years ago. So just to give you an idea, like Ukrainians are Russian. For, every, for all intents and purposes, obviously over the last hundred or so years, things have changed a lot. And so uh, as of a little bit more recent history in World War II, uh, the Nazis had come in and they invaded Poland um, and they in invaded and took over Ukraine. And so when they came in and took over all these regions, they, Im they implemented puppets and regimes of their own. This is what Nazis did. And they had a Nazi party that was successful there in Ukraine. Well, then when the Soviets, which are communist, when they eventually defeated Hitler... Uh, defeated the Nazi regime in World War II with the help of the Allies, they split Germany in, in half, okay? Well, really, they split it in a bunch of pieces. And I'm actually reading a book right now discussing this very immediate aftermath of World War II. So it gives a lot of context for a Ukrainian buildup. And so you, Soviet Union was not a good place to be, okay? It was communist. Um, they only had like two or three types of cars, okay? Uh, they only had, you know, two or three types of, you know, cartons of milk, right? Like they, they were limited in every way. 
uh, it was not a good place to be, and they implemented their rule of law, their idea of communism, on all of these Eastern European countries. That includes parts of Germany, Poland, Belarus, Ukraine, um, Czechoslovakia. I mean, all of these, if you just look at the Soviet Union, Google it, what was the Soviet Union? And so if you see the Soviet Union, it was this, this big map of all of Eastern Europe, and then all the way it split up was Germany. So to sit here and say that Putin or like Russians in general are like, you know, super innocent is, is, is not what I'm going to sit here and tell you. Um, there's been a lot of historical fucked up shit. I mean, in Ukraine, they actually slaughtered, um, they actually slaughtered, uh, well, the Soviets slaughtered Ukrainians because they were associated with a Nazi party. So, you know, this, so it's not like this is, it's been a perfect history here. Uh, but ultimately what I'm saying is that Ukraine is a lot of Russia. Um, it is Russian in very, in many ways, it is, has a lot of Russian culture and Russian, very rich in Russian history. So with that being said, just so we're clear, um, what happened re as of recently has been the fall of the Soviet Union in 91 allowed a lot of this sort of democracy to play out in these various Eastern um, European areas, okay, Poland, Belarus, uh, Czechoslovakia, Ukraine, those same areas that were once the Soviet Union. And so as democracies have continued to flare up and, and, and continue to, uh, to grow in these areas, what has tended to happen is, um, you know, the West, okay, which formed NATO, right, the, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, this NATO concept, is this huge alliance of European countries that, that includes the United States. I, mean, I, th I think a South American country now is, is involved in NATO. It's, it's very simple. It states that if one of, of NATO countries are striked in any way from any aggressor, it is an attack on all of, the, all of NATO. So if the U.S. is struck, struck by China, that would mean that NATO, whoever's in NATO, has to somehow turn against China uh, because there's this alliance, okay? So it was a good idea in theory, and ultimately the, so the uh, NATO concept was to destroy the Soviet Union. I'm a huge fan of that. The Soviet Union was a horrific place, and what they did to a lot of Eastern Europe was horrible, horrible, okay? The, the, down to the schemey politics they did, all the way up to the grand scale of like mass graves, you know, and massacres and, and uh, political killing. So Soviet Union was not a fun place. And so NATO was originally made to destroy the Soviet Union, to essentially take power back from the Soviet Union. So as of the Soviet Union falling, just so we're clear, Russia's not communist anymore. They're like a oligarchy capitalist combination. Some, somebody who knows Russia perfectly can probably explain the economic system they have now, but it does lean towards that direction of a, a sort of a a mixture of capitalism and authoritarianism a little bit. It's not a perfect place, uh, but they are a growing economy and they don't necessarily want to chop their children's balls off like we tend to do in America. And so that's fine and dandy. That's their decision. And they're more or less Orthodox Christian over there. And so they've sort of regained that sort of conservatism concept of preserving their culture, halting immigration, there's a lot of things about Russia that are very nationalist, taking care of themselves. They now grow their own food there. They banned all GMO, by the way. GMO does not exist. Monsanto doesn't exist. They're banned from Russia. So, it's, so to totally demonize Russia today, it's just a miscalculation. It's just not 
perfectly said. It's not, you can't do it with the aggressive mindset that you had in the 60s with the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I'll get to. You just can't do that, okay? Uh, because Russia's gotten a lot of different things done. Now, I don't like the idea of Vladimir Putin reigning in Russia. I think he's been the president for over 20 years, okay? They don't really have term limits to these various things. They don't have a government like we do in America and the Western democracies. They're not there yet, but they at least don't have full-on authoritarian communism anymore, right? That, that whole system fell. Um, there's some people who argue that it's secretly still communist and stuff. So again, to each their own, however people want to look at this, it, I'm just a geopolitical strategist who likes to, I like to favor a lot of history. I like to mix a lot of things in. There's maybe a lot of elements that I don't know. And so um, that's why I'm coming to you guys as a really a form of learning, uh, but also educating because I do feel that a lot of people are not educated about this. So leading from that NATO idea. So NATO is this this treaty, this alliance. Well, I believe... Um, there are NATO allies encroaching even closer and closer to Russia because NATO's stated definition essentially is to destroy the Soviet Union. It, it, it's now misguided, but now it's really if, if it's under the layer of understanding, but it is to destroy Russia because Russia, because of the communism that they under they underwent for what, over 80 years or so, 80 something years. Russia's kind of like done playing with authoritarianism. They don't want to be involved in a bunch of treaties. They don't want to be in, involved in a, a European Union where there's a dictating power in Brussels, you know, where that's where they decide what Europe's going to do and what the economy is going to be like and things like that. So to, to, in all fairness, Russia's just nationalist. They're like, hey, we've been fucked over by authoritarian rule in our own country. We don't want to export that authoritarian rule in the Europe in the name of a European Union or some other kind of treaty alliance like NATO. We just don't want to off, offset or export our control over what we do here in Russia to some other oligarchy somewhere else. And if you think that NATO is this beautiful, wonderful place and you believe that the EU is this democracy-loving place, I mean, just look at COVID. Look at what just happened over the past year, two years. Okay, Russia, they don't, they haven't been locking down their citizens over there. They're not wearing masks over there. They're not forcing a random mRNA shot on everybody over there. Okay, I mean, again, just saying, uh, look at what's happening in our authoritarian part of the world in the West. All of Europe is some of the worst authoritarianism I've ever seen that we've ever seen in this in this century. Okay, we, America, your county. Okay, putting masks on kids and shit. I mean, like, all that's authoritarianism. Okay, we've just dealt with that. So to sit here and point the finger at Russia for, for doing what they do, again, it's just it's very miscalculated. And so why do we hate Russia so much? It really is just a lot of Cold War era older people in our State Department that still believe that there's this hard-on to destroy Russia. And so let's get into the Ukraine thing. Ukraine was, again, it's, it's right on the Russian border, just so we're clear, right there. Um, and what happened in Ukraine was, uh, usually what happens in, in the world is that bankers, um, and I'll give you an example, the International Monetary Fund, if you just look that up on Google, look up what they do, the International Monetary Fund, okay, the World Bank, the Federal Reserve Bank, the, 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 the United Nations working in tandem with these financial institutions, they go into nations, they loan money, and then 
they they loan money to third world countries, developing countries, and then eventually, a decade or so later, they seize those assets from these poor countries. What tends to happen is in order to seize those assets after they've given a loan, they just they go in to destroy that nation economically and politically by causing an uproar in their civil politics and things like that. This is how the world fucking works. And anybody listen, listening to the podcast knows that I've explained how the world works. You loan some money to a nation and then you go, you, you go in 10 years, you go and you subvert, subvertly, so secretly basically, you go and destroy the nation and the bankers come in and they're like, hey man, it's time for you to pay up uh, that loan we gave you 10 years ago. And then the country's like, well, we just had a bunch of, you know, uh, civil war here in this country. We're, we're hurting. We can't, you know, we, we can't afford to pay the payments anymore on this beautiful shipping port that you built for us or this wonderful airfield or airport that you built for us or this gas pipeline that you built for us. We just don't have enough money to pay the payments. The bankers are like... That's all good. All good. You know what's going to you know what's going to solve this problem? You're just going to give us that pipeline. You're going to give us that port, that control port, what the shipping port, the whatever it is that they have, infrastructure or uh the airport or the the trucking company, you know, whatever ran that country from a government perspective that was funded by the International Monetary Fund. So this is how shark loaning works, okay? This is why Bitcoin is a big deal in El Salvador and there's a lot of movements happening all over the world. Well, China's doing that today. China has sort of turned around and, and, and they are doing that all over Africa. I mean, Africa is being totally taken over by Chinese and the Africans are all being pushed out. So if you want to talk about cultural cleansing, you want to talk about genocide, go look at Africa. Go look at the Chinese influence in Africa. So again, but let's ignore that for now. Let's just look at Russia attacking Ukraine today. So in 2013, there was a pro-alliance with Russia in the government of Ukraine. And so what they essentially, what essentially happened is the International Monetary Fund came to Ukraine and said, hey, we want to give you this big fat loan and we want to help fund all these beautiful projects in your country. We'll give you an economic package. And there's all kinds of strings attached and there's all kinds of things about this economic package that the International Monetary Fund, uh, working with the World Bank and others, were going to provide for Ukraine to help Ukraine, right? That story, guess what? We've heard that story. We've heard that story before. So Ukrainians and that government was very skeptical about working with the European Union, working into an economic deal with them and, and using the International Monetary Fund. They were just a little skeptical. They were just like, hey, you know, you kind of screwed over other people in the past. Other nations have been fucked over by the EU and then by the International Monetary Fund. So they were just skeptical. Well, guess what? Vladimir Putin comes in. This is in 2013. They, they come out with another economic package, another deal. That's like, guys, this is like getting an auto loan 
and you're you're there at the you know the car dealership and you're trying to get a car well then you have to you you get to choose between a couple different auto loans right which one which interest is better which payments are better you get to pick your financier for the car you're going to buy right or you get to pick the mortgage that you're going to get from you get to pick the mortgage company does that make sense so ukraine was in this you know position to decide on a particular economic package and they were desperate so they definitely needed it so they're like hey we're a developing nation we want to develop we want to grow we want to grow our, our our economy whatever so russia says hey look we'll give you a good deal and we'll make sure that we'll pay all your bills whatever um we'll never seize your assets we are kin like ukraine and russia are like this because they are literally ukrainians are russians in every way shape and form okay pretty much okay and it's not to say that everyone in ukraine loves russia i'm just saying that historically and culturally speaking they are russian and so that seemed perfect well guess what that wasn't good for the likes of a george soros who has funded a lot of our politicians today in america to overthrow various governments which he just did in our country but george soros similarly has crashed the british pound before to make sure to put a nice government that favors his idea of the world. So there are people like him and others who, like that, like I said, the International Monetary Fund, they didn't like the idea of Ukraine deciding to side with Russia and work economically with Russia. That's what actually happened, okay? Then in 2014, the using Western powers and NATO and using the International Monetary Fund and all these different uh, elements... They funded and designed something called a color revolution. A color revolution, if you just look it up, it basically means a revolution that is by design and it, it uses whatever cultural, language, religious differences that exist in a particular society or country. And they put people against each other for their gain. So they fund one side of a conflict in order to ensure victory in a color revolution. Now, we in this country in America, we've experienced a color revolution. Okay? And this is what we did in Iraq. This is what we've done in Libya. This is what we've done in Syria. This is what we've done in Vietnam. This is what we've done in Korea. We've done this all over the place. This is not a new thing. This is a tried and true method. And really the British are the ones who came up with the idea and they called it the great game. That's what they called the great game. And they perfected it in India. Okay. So that's what they've done. Just so we're clear. So that, you know, the West is all innocent and we're just looking out for building democracies everywhere is just an absolute insane thing to believe. Okay, so when we funded a color revolution there in Ukraine, we essentially, I'm not fucking kidding you when I say this, we actually worked with real Nazis. Nazis are like the, the family members and the generals who are literally, they hail Hitler in their parliament in Ukraine. We actually, the West, worked with Nazis to therefore, and that's not, not everybody, I'm just saying that a lot of them were not, they were Nazis. They have a Nazi party in Ukraine still. Fucking, what, isn't that cool? 
How crazy is that? So the Western powers funded Nazis as well as other groups to overthrow the Ukrainian government, just like we've done in Iraq, just like we've done everywhere else. Tried and true method, color revolution, tried and true. So we went and overthrew the government of Ukraine there. And then we installed a puppet government. We did that eight years ago. And that puppet government withdrew from the Russian economic idea and the economic package they were doing. And they joined in with the European Union and with the, uh, the package, the economic package that was being provided by the International Monetary Fund. Okay? Since then, a lot of Ukrainians, especially in the East, but all over the country, but especially in the East... They were upset about this situation. They felt, just like Iran in 1979, they overthrew their government because it was American-backed the Shah of Iran. The same thing we did in Iran. And, the, and, then, and now guess what? You have an Iranian government there that's like a theocracy and it's, it's honestly not very good for the people. And the people know that. The people know that. But with all the intents and purposes aside, okay, we installed a, a government in Ukraine that was pro West, pro-NATO, pro-America, pro this and that. And the Ukrainian people there who were very much in alignment with Russia, they actually disagreed. They thought that the minority of people who overthrew the government and voted in this new, you know, Western-backed politician, they believed that they do not represent Ukrainians. And so the Ukrainians who were more or less pro-Russian, they, they went away and they actually started to live in the eastern provinces of Ukraine because they identified more with Russia. Well, later, this has been years now, by the way, and there was a hot war that started inside the eastern part of Ukraine. Those eastern parts of Ukraine, which are very close, bordered with Russia, they are in alignment with Russia more or less. And because of this, they called them separatists. They did not agree with the puppet government that was installed by the West in 2013. And since then, they have seen themselves as going away from that, that government. And so the Ukrainian military, backed by Western allies, have actually been fighting in that region. We have sent weapons. We have sent arms. We have trained people there. And we've done all kinds of stuff there to make sure that that eastern part of Ukraine is no longer Russian or Russian involved at all. And so that's been happening for eight years. There's been a hot war for eight years there, okay? And so the more recent developments because of all of this is simply that this new government in Ukraine was just elected, okay? And if you all remember this, this is very clear. Remember when there was a new president of Ukraine. Guess who our president was at the time in America? Our president was Trump. So Trump calls the new newly elected Ukrainian president and congratulates him and starts talking about him and, and oh that's great whatever and then he asks about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden Joe Biden's crackhead son why his son made 10 million dollars on a gas pipeline deal and why his son Joe Biden's son was being investigated by a Ukrainian prosecutor Okay, because Donald Trump asked that question, he was going to go, he was impeached. That's how you, that's how involved Ukraine is. And so let me rewind here. 
when since 2013, since then, up until now, the West, like America, like American politicians like Joe Biden and his son and Hillary Clinton and others, okay, and, uh, and other, and other pe- you know, people in, involved in Germany and the UK, and play- they have essentially come into Ukraine and taken all of their resources and really destroyed Ukraine. So the quote-unquote separatists that are pro-Russian are actually more Ukrainian, I would say, than the Ukrainians who believe that their government is fine and dandy. No, their government is not fine and dandy. They're being totally corrupted by Western powers who are just milking the tit that is the Ukrainian economy and getting all this money out of it unfairly to the Ukrainian people, taking advantage again, just like we've done all over the world, okay? So it's not like what I'm saying is hard to understand. And so with Joe Biden and, and crackhead Hunter Biden taking 10 million bucks from a gas deal, and, and, and that's, just the, that's just the little tiny part of all the corruption that was going on in Ukraine. Ukrainians essentially were tired of it, okay? They were tired of it, especially, again, the eastern part of Ukraine. I'm going to like rearrange here. And so that's essentially what led up to what, what we're seeing today because the hot war that's been happening in the eastern provinces, a lot of Russians are now moving in there. And because of that, it has become so Russian that those regions, if you go look at Donbass and Lushank, I'm not even saying that perfectly, but these, these regions of Ukraine, they declared independence from Ukraine, the, the western back to Ukraine. They declared independent. That that doesn't mean that they are Russian. They're not being annexed by Russia yet, but they declared their independence. They said, hey, we don't want to be a part of Ukraine and we don't want to be a part of Russia. We just want to be our own country. And what that was last weekend, okay? So when Putin finally ad, a, a acknowledged the existence of these provinces who declared independence, it was then that this war started because let me explain once russia acknowledged along with other countries by the way once russia acknowledged this eastern part of ukraine as being its own sovereign nation then ukrainian military forces were planning an attack on this eastern province who they felt was robbed from them even though they've been in a hot war for eight years and that government is weak, the Ukrainian government is weak because, again, they're getting screwed over by the West. I mean, we're all in there. We're, we got crackhead sons coming in and taking millions of dollars for no reason. I mean, we're just – so the West has – the Western part of Ukraine, it's just like – it's just they're not, they're not standing on firm ground with this idea that, that they want to take back Eastern Ukraine. So what happens is Putin, out of nowhere – to me personally, not because the media has been saying it, Putin decides you're not going to attack these eastern provinces and we're just going to defend them because those eastern provinces were waving Russian flags. Yes, Ukrainians wanting Russians to come into their nation. And so then when Russia came in, they basically, these Ukrainians there in that eastern area were saying, hey, we want your support. We want your military here. We want you to protect us. And so because of that, that's what provoked the Ukrainian military to be like, we're going to strike this area, right? Well, instead, instead of Russia being on the defense, Russia decides today and yesterday to 
just attack Ukraine and try to take control of their capital. Now, another thing about all of this is that why is it that Russia was so quick to go in and actually take over the country? I believe just like Hitler invaded Poland and more more relatably when he when he invaded France, Hitler already paid off all the French generals. He gave them a deal and they lived in Vichy, France for the remainder of the war and they were safe and sound. The French army was. Now, I'm not saying that's perfectly accurate with here in Ukraine, but I can tell you that I mean, the Ukrainian military and, and whatever they've got there, it's just not enough to stop an entire nation of Russia and not even a, I don't even think it's a partial amount of their forces, of Russian forces that actually attacked on today. And what they did strategically, and this is for, if you're following along this far, I'm blown away, but here's the most important part. Russia, when they came in and attacked Ukraine today, they specifically sent missiles and bombs to destroy the infrastructure that was being built for NATO to have military presence in these particular areas. So these are areas like airports. These are areas like um, the ports, the actual shipping ports that were being built to bring in a Navy, a Navy to, to be there to defend Ukraine. But ultimately, it wasn't to defend Ukraine necessarily as much as it was to attack Russia at some future point. And so just so we're clear, before Russia invaded, all Russia said the entire, for the last two, three, four months, Russia, all Russia's been saying is like, look, we want Ukraine not to join NATO and we don't want missiles, we don't want nuclear warheads on the border in Ukraine pointing at Russia. We just don't want that. Period. That was his only demands. And then his last press conference, I actually watched the entire speech. He said how it's just being ignored and that it's you don't just ignore a leader of, of a nation saying, hey, please don't do this. Please do not put weapons on my border aiming at me. That is the exact same thing as the Cuban Missile Crisis with John F. Kennedy. We in America were pissed at the idea that the Soviet Union would put nuclear warheads inside of Cuba to strike Florida or Texas or Louisiana or wherever they could reach, we thought that was a horrendous crime. And we thought that that was going to be, you know, uh, starting World War III. And so, you know, that's when JFK essentially negotiated the whole deal, whatever. But I remember the Bay of Pigs. Remember, they, they invaded Cuba and it was a disaster. And it was just not going to work out. And so I want you to just imagine that this is the same concept. Is it okay to put nuclear bombs inside of Ukraine, aiming them at Russia? Is it okay for that to happen? I mean, ask yourself, what would you do if you felt as a country like Russia, if you really genuinely felt threatened constantly? I mean, look at our media. Our media is fervently hating Russia. They want to destroy Putin and they want you, the American people, to hate Russia too. They want to go to war with Russia even though they have no idea what they're asking. They have no idea what they're doing. And I am talking about serious fucking people inside the State Department. I don't just mean the yo-hos out there on Fox News and CNN. I am genuinely talking about the serious, what they call professional department defense, defense department or State Department people who think that we can actually go into a war with Russia. I mean, these are serious people. They take themselves seriously. And I'm here to tell you, they're fucking insane. We should never be there. We should never be there. We should not be involved.
So really, how does this affect you? Well, Ukraine has been a place for obviously gas, energy, has been a place for economic stability for a little while. And I think that what we're going to see is a, a huge rise in gas prices. And more importantly, guys, is it's going to destabilize that region, which in effect does destabilize uh, the rest of the world, right? Well, what also happens is I do believe that we are going to start experiencing cyber attacks. And I believe the way they shut down that meat power plant about six months ago or, or eight months ago, what, whatever it was, they shut down a meat power plant. They said it was a Russian hack. And uh, some other cybersecurity expert actually said, no, this was our CIA that actually shut down the meat, power, the meat packing plant. Now, that sounds small and no big deal. Oh, the CIA just shut down an American meat packing plant. Okay, that you may be vegan. You may not give a fuck about that. But what happens when they shut down coal plants? What happens when they shut down electricity and you're freezing your fucking ass off in your house because you have no means of survival? So what's going to happen now is they have a scapegoat in Russia. They are going to start blaming everything under the sun on Putin on this attack on Ukraine. But in reality, what's going to happen in Ukraine, I believe within 48 hours, if not, I'll give it a week, about a week and... The terms, by the way, that Russia is saying is, okay, we've invaded your country. We've taken control of your capital. We're taking control of all these very vital, inf all this vital infrastructure. We do not want to stay here, they said. We don't want to stay here. We don't want to occupy your country. And we don't even want to overthrow your government. We just want our concern, the same thing. They said, we want you to promise you will never join NATO and you will, you will not have weapons on our on your border that are threatening us more importantly russia says now that they've invaded the whole fucking country and now everyone's watching russia basically just said we just want ukraine to be neutral we don't want ukraine to be pro-russian and that we don't want it to be necessarily a part of russia and we don't want it to be a part of nato and we don't want it to be in the middle of this western expansion into our encroaching territory that's all putin has said think about that I mean, how reasonable is that? Again, even if they were to get those demands, is that is that the end of it? I don't really know. But I do know that the West, being America, we're not sending troops there. We're not going to go and defend Ukraine. Why the fuck would we want to do that? We can't even defend our own border. I mean, there's 100,000 people a month coming across the border illegally, with all different kinds of reasons, by the way. Not just families, okay? Like, hardcore criminals and murderers are actually crossing that border, too. So... Why can't we focus on things that are mattering? And then more importantly, here's what's going to happen next. Look at Taiwan. Look at China. Look at China in, in Africa. Look at China over Taiwan. Look at China and Hong Kong. China, while all the attention's in Russia, China's going to start moving in on Taiwan and on um, Hong Kong, okay, in a big military way. I believe that. Because what's to stop them from doing that? There will actually be a war in Taiwan, by the way. Just like there's a war in Ukraine, like there are Ukrainian forces that are attempting to stop this Russian advance, but ultimately a lot of them are just surrendering. Not in Taiwan. Taiwan has a deep, profound hatred against the Chinese communists, and they will do anything and everything to protect their island. I believe most of the military in Taiwan will die before they give up that island, and I believe that China is willing to take that cost and to invade Taiwan and to know that that will be a war that might last 
a handful of months. It won't just be a surrender easily. Um, and that will be even more devastating. So we're in for a wild ride. And if I were you, I would take a look at this year and remember that this year is definitely an unstable time. Not in a panic, but definitely in a way for you to be aware. Buying food. Where does your electricity come from? You know, like, do you even have any provisions of any kind? Do you have any kind of security? Are you prepared for something that could happen? And I do predict that we might actually go offline. I predict that we actually could experience a cyber attack and it won't be Russia. It'll actually be more than likely our own country doing it to ourselves in a false flag to ourselves, blaming Russia so that we can go to war with Russia. And this is how it's all going to start. My warning to all of you, if you will listen to me, do not put your hatred inside of Russia. Do not put your hatred towards anybody. Don't go with the propaganda of we should destroy Russia and we should try to attack all these different places. No, we really shouldn't. Remember, the enemy is usually the bank cartels, the people who actually run the show. Joe Biden, if you spend your time talking about him, then you're wasting your breath because that person is not in charge of anything. And so we have to look at the people in charge. We have to look at their ultimate goals and aims. And there's so much I want to share with you and it can go on and on. But I do believe that this is really a good element for now. If anybody's still watching live, I'm definitely open to taking questions. Whoever has questions about this whole situation, particularly sticking with Ukraine. If you do have questions about China, definitely open to talking about that. Um, so I'll leave it open for a few people if you want it, if you want to, if you want to ask anything, I'm definitely open to it. Um, the other thing to mention here is, you know, the only people that benefit from any kind of resolution in Ukraine that deals with the West, I think is going to be our politicians who are involved there who are getting money out of that country. That is the only people who benefit, okay? The only people who benefit. Um, and just remember that. Our our family, friends, and, and, and coworkers, and, and God knows who, they don't deserve to go and die and bleed out on Ukrainian land. I don't believe that's gonna happen now, but I just think that it's not fair to us to wanna be all hyperventilating around Russia. Ukraine is fucking Russia. Kiev was the capital of Russia 300 years ago. So like, this is a territorial dispute that honestly we shouldn't be involved in. And really, I think maybe Putin probably bought off a lot of the leaders in Ukraine to make sure that this invasion went as smoothly as he did. More importantly, I do believe that he made, he bluffed, definitely bluffed, or he made the, the, the uh, globalists who are in control of Ukraine bluff. Because he went in and they have not done shit to counterattack. That may change, but we're not really sure. Uh, there's, a, there's a question coming in about BLM being a, an example of a color revolution. And yes, absolutely, Black Lives Matter is a part of a color revolution. So to say that we have legitimate problems with racism and legitimate cultural differences, things like that, absolutely true. I want you to think about it from a perspective of the Chinese who want to exploit all the differences. Have you ever had somebody in your life, in your family even maybe, uh, or your friend group that like drama? They like to exploit the weaknesses of two different people and their hatred for each other. Have anyone ever experienced that or watched it happen? I have. Watching friends pick on each other and then watching another person, you know, telling tales 
about one another to each other to get them pissed off at each other. That, that is how you uh, make people go to war with each other, right? And um, this was done successfully, like I said, in all over India and all over Africa, still to this day. You put tribes against each other and they hate each other already. And so they're going to attack each other anyways. So that's a good, that's a good, that is a good question. So yes, I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement, although legitimate issues with some police brutality and authoritarianism in that sense, I do believe that, um, but they were used as a, uh, a wedge to place in the middle between American people. Because the American people, a lot of them didn't agree with Black Lives Matter or their movement or what they were trying to do with like ending the family and all kinds of the sketchy communist weirdo stuff that they did. And of course, the protesting and then really the rioting. Okay, so a lot of people didn't agree with that. But then you have the other side, which is like this idea of, you know, making sure that police brutality is less and to not pick on minorities in terms of the arrest warrants and all of these different issues in our judicial system and our prison system. Like there are definitely some big issues with those things. So to say that they disregard the whole thing, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Um, what is a good news source to watch? Well, if you kind of want to know what the Russian perspective is, just know you're, you're really getting more or less like Russian propaganda. If you want to know what they're actually thinking or some people who are more awake to the situation, I would watch something called RT. It's called Russian television, and it's a green little symbol. If you want to check them out, RT, um, that's a news source that is coming from Russia, basically. Um, that was, the question was, what's a good news source? So, I mean, if you want to check that out, you can. Uh, I do believe you're really interested in cool news that covers a lot of topics and is very open and fair, in my opinion, is the Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge. Um, just type in on your whatever your your search bar type in zero hedge like hedging your bet zero hedge so type that in that's like a financial news but they also cover a lot of politics and a lot of geopolitics as well so i definitely think that um you guys should check out zero hedge if you guys want to um yeah so gabriel asks about gaddafi um i do believe you did spell that right and, and, and Gaddafi was the president of Libya. This is exactly a, a great example of a color revolution. So um, this was back in 2011, 2012 area where um, Mahamar, Mahamar Gaddafi, I can't, I remember, can't remember his first name, but he was the president of Libya and he had an idea to create an, a North African union and he wanted to bring Africa together and he wanted to create a a gold standard in Africa, actually, believe it or not. So Gaddafi, the president of Libya, he wanted to create a gold standard. He wanted to get away from the U.S. dollar. And he thought the U.S. dollar was fiat currency and fake money. And he, he thought that if they if Africa came together and created a some kind of gold standard or some other kind of like oil standard or something else that because they, they had they were rich in oil, by the way, rich in oil, rich, uh, rich in gold. And so Gaddafi had this good idea to reboot the world economy by creating a gold standard. Well, that was a fucking problem to American elites because we can't fucking have somebody going in and trying to destroy the supremacy of the U.S. dollar. So any fucking money will be spent to destroy that nation. And that's what we have to look at is 
What happened there was a color revolution, and that's where ISIS was invented. Invented. ISIS was Al-Qaeda, but a, a mixture of it. ISIS was created in Libya to destroy Gaddafi. Sunni, Shiite, color revolution. Who gives a shit about the differences? Do you think globalists give a shit about black people and white people? No. They hate both. They want to destroy all of us. So they put, they wedge between us, they wedge race to be an issue, which it has been a freaking huge issue in America. But guess what? Racism exists everywhere. China is the most homogeneous country ever. They're all Chinese there. They do not, and, and a lot of Asian cultures do not accept black people as either a marriage in terms of wife or husband over there. So let's just dish the idea that America is alone in racism here. The world is very divided culturally. America is the only country that got it right. Now, Libya, Sunni, Shiite, Sunni, Shiite, two different Muslim sects. They were used divide and conquer strategy to overthrow Muhammad Gaddafi. I can't say his first name right. But guess what happened to Gaddafi? He was overthrown. He was physically grabbed, and I hate to get vulgar here, but I think y'all are a mature audience. He was grabbed by ISIS, and they shoved an AK-47 up his ass on live TV. If you want to look it up, you can go find it. So that is how you get humiliated and destroyed if you ever go against any kind of U.S. economic policy whatsoever. And this is where I think the U.S. is creating this police state all over the world. And now, even at home, right? Talk, talking about how American people are domestic terrorists. I mean, look at Canada. Look at what happened in Canada. I mean, domestic terrorists, they, they used the, um, the national emergency, their act over there, their, their sense of law over there to crack down on the finance, the fucking banking of like moms who are like just not about the vaccine on their kid. I mean, that's a little fucking stretch if you ask me in terms of authoritarianism. So any other questions? I'm still here. Anybody else still here? You got any questions? Definitely open for that. Good questions. I have Instagram and Facebook going, so our questions coming in from everywhere. Uh, ultimately, I do think that, uh, man, just I feel like I've talked about this issue all day. Um, I've tried to go live on my Instagram a couple times. Um, I've tried to post on my stories. I was out snowboarding today, so... Yeah, that's my hair. My hair's all crazy right now because, yeah, that's like helmet hair. Um, but yeah, so if that's everything, I feel like this was a good a good rundown. I am trying to think of something else that might be important. I, I just think you should prepare for a cyber attack. I really think that that's kind of like the next move. Um, and if you think that the if you think that COVID was gonna hurt the world economy. Just wait till your fucking power's out for two weeks. Okay? Like, like that's what's next, you know? And I hate to be negative. That's not like fear porn or anything. I'm just just letting you know that that's, that's kind of on the agenda. So, you know, anyway, any other question? I will take a last question if there is one. And other than that, I will I'll let you guys go. <clears throat> for the podcast listeners... Like I said, I mean, I'm taking these questions. You can always watch live on Facebook. Sometimes I'm on Instagram, not all the time. Um, but 
there's a, it's a big news day, so I figured to get on here. Uh, there's actually so much more I could share, but I'm just gonna leave it leave it put. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, so I don't know about vacation mandate, but I think you mean vaccine mandate. So the uh, so Gabriel asked a question about the Australian vaccine mandates and uh, how they've de- they've disarmed their population in Australia. So yeah, you know the news there in Australia they they had a huge propaganda campaign around anti gun violence, and they only honestly in Australia I think they did it for like ten years, and ten years was enough to actually uh, get the Australian people, the Aussies, as they call themselves, to turn in their guns. Uh, they did a national buyback program in Australia where they actually the, the federal government bought the weapons from the citizens. So you went, you turned it in, and you could get paid. At first, it was voluntary. And guess what? A lot of people like found guns. They were stealing guns, you know, just to, just to turn it in for a little quick cash. Um, and then eventually it, it turned into this like confiscation. So anyone else who was still had a gun at that point, uh, they basically came for their guns. And uh, the, the, the real Crocodile Dundee, by the way, if you want to look up this story, the real Crocodile Dundee in Australia, the real person, not the movie or the TV show guy, um, he actually died with Australian police SWAT team surrounding his house because he would not give up his guns. And he died fighting the Aussie police squad outside of his freaking house. That's how like hardcore he was about his guns. So someone's asking about the crisis in 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 Ukraine, but they just joined. So I I definitely went over all that earlier. Can't do that again, but that's a great question. We definitely covered all that. I think we got all that. So if that's everything, I'm definitely gonna let y'all go. Yeah, no, that's all good. Spell check. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna let y'all go. I appreciate the questions, the uh, the the entertainment. You guys are awesome. Hope you guys have a great rest of your night. Peace.